Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Maybe that's why Bluehost has been recommended by WordPress.org since 2005. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to Bluehost.com Wondersuite. That's Bluehost.com Wondersuite. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I'm happy to say Bread for the People has a new sponsor. Farmer Ground Flour was nice enough to sponsor Bread for the People, and I wanted to tell you a little bit more about them. Here's what I discovered. So it's a team of conscientious millers of farmers that was started in about 2009 by three friends, Greg Russo, Neil Johnson, and Thor Oxner. They're rooted in the Finger Lakes region and they use local organic grains and focus on supporting local communities. They're committed to leading the growth of sustainable grain economy. Farmer Ground has designed their stone ground milling process to retain the integrity of the grain, allowing natural nutrients, fibers, oils, and flavors to speak for themselves. I particularly like baking with the high extraction bread flour. It's an 85% extraction flour that is sifted to remove a large portion of the bran while retaining the wheat germ, resulting in great flavors and nutrition. Go to farmergroundflour.com to learn more. I highly recommend Farmer Ground, and I'd like to thank them for sponsoring Bread for the People. The following episode of Bread for the People is brought to you by Side Hustle Bread, Long Island's handcrafted artisanal bread company. Side Hustle Bread is a family-run virtual bakery that's bringing the neighborhood feel back to Long Island one loaf at a time. Head on over to SideHustleBread.com for more information, upcoming appearances, and merchandise. My name's Jim Serpico, and this... Should I start with my name? Or should I start with this is Bread for the People? Do you like it like this? Welcome to Bread. Or do you like it like this? Welcome. Ready? Welcome to Bread for the People. Mine... Is there a script? Welcome to Bread for the People. I'm Jim Serpico. Today I have a very special guest named Becca Wong. She is a full-time classical pianist who also started a cottage bakery on a dare. Becca, thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I follow you on Instagram mm -hmm. and uh, 
what I love about your Instagram account is through your bread making, you kind of give us an insight into your life in a wry, funny way. <laughs> um, I, I really love, and sometimes it's only a couple of sentences or, or a paragraph at the most, but I find them hysterically funny. I wonder how many people even realize there's humor in there, but um, it makes me laugh and I, I like getting to know you. When, just now, when we got on, you said something yeah. to me. I would love for you to share that with the, uh, with the audience. Um, I was just surprised that you asked me to be on your podcast because there are, you know, I've seen and I've listened to a few of your guests that I'm like, those are the people that I look up to and follow. And <laughs> they have, you know, a bajillion more followers than what I have. So, right. you know, so I'm like, wow, okay, um, sure. You know, uh, this, <laughs> this last year in terms of my bread journey has just been saying yes to opportunities. So, That's hey, you know, would you like this? I'm like, yes. You know, how much does it cost, first of all? <laughs> so um, well, if it doesn't cost much, sure, I, I'm going to say yes. So when this opportunity came, I said, okay, yeah. You know, I think that there is a correlation between people with a creative career and past and bread making. I was a music student. I, mm -hmm. I was a, a, a trained trumpet player. I went to Ithaca College. I was uh, in the jazz bands from my freshman year through graduation. I played semi-professionally for, for a brief period after college. And I, I talked to a lot of bread makers that were or are musicians, painters, and I kind of find it fascinating that there's some link between making bread and the arts. Hmm. And, you know, I was curious to talk to you a little bit about that and also learn a bit about your business there. And you've made some posts in the past. I, I guess you teach mm -hmm. uh, music as well. Yeah. And I'm curious about that life. So tell us about starting your bread making journey on a dare. On a dare. Well, um, I, I am. I wouldn't call myself one of the 2020 pandemic bakers. I started the year after in 2021, when I was in the thick of uh, teaching online and actually playing professionally online, like through Zoom. So you know, everyone's stuck at home, and I. I think, you know, through stumbling in YouTube and in Instagram, I think I saw some bread art and I thought that was super cool. My friend had given me a hundred year old starter that he had bought off the internet and he gave me some and I was like, do you understand what you just did? Because I kill plants. This is going to die. <laughs> And he goes, I promise you, it's not going to die. Just leave it in the fridge. And I pulled it out and had this huge layer of hooch on top. I poured it out and I fed it and it just exploded. And I went, well, yeah. crap, now I got to bake with it. And I really got into baking sourdough for the art side of it. There was something cathartic about taking a sharp blade and just cutting into the bread and seeing the patterns that it makes as it's spreading when the bread is cold, when the dough is cold. 
and mm-hmm. seeing it transform, you know, when you do the Dutch oven review and you pull up the lid and you kind of go, ooh, that was unexpected. And it just turned into this obsession. And that kind of evolved into an outlet for me in that it was a, a non-performance-based outlet that was still creative. Yeah. Because I already Absolutely. crochet, I do embroidery, and I I do love working with my hands, but I do like the fact that this was an activity. I didn't realize at the time, I was forcing myself to get out of my desk or to get away from the piano to go do a coil fold and then go back and sit down. So it created yeah. a little bit of, you know, get your ass off your desk and go do something other than, you know, being stuck in front of a screen. And I was, you know, baking a lot of overproof blobs. Um, (laughs) And, you know, again, you know, after seeing a lot of the stuff that Tom Kakuza posts about, you know, studying your crumb, I look at my crumb like a report card. And I look at his diagram like a rubric going, oh, God, what I did wrong. What did I do wrong? But... I was baking a lot of blobs in the beginning, but still doing this bread art. And what was great about bread art is that you can take a blob, an overproof blob, and create it still into something beautiful that people want to go, ooh, that's so pretty, and can I buy that from you? And that's literally what happened. A friend of mine is a chef up in uh, the Washington uh, Washington State area, and he was like, hey, do you know about this cottage license thing? And I was like, no. And he goes, you should look into it. And I, I at the time, I'm going, do you know how busy I am between my playing job and my teaching job? And with my teaching job, I have musical director stuff that I do with theater productions. And so I am doing all of those things on top of any free time I have, I am working on new repertoire that I am practicing so that it's prepared and ready to go for the next gig or master class that I'm playing for. So I'm going, do you know how busy I am? And But then I kind of went, you know, with the idea of, yes, you know, you really have no idea what this opportunity is going to bring you and it's just paperwork and paying a fee at the county and so I did that and now I'm on to my second year of uh, my cottage license I'm not cranking out the large volumes like everybody else is I average about six to eight loaves a day if when I have a chance to bake and my friends that's a good amount yeah, yeah. You know, I I don't think everybody uh, in my experiences, especially in bread art, um, but not even bread art. There's there's some very well known names that we would all know on Instagram that mm-hmm. are more like bread influencers, and they're not cranking out large volumes all the time either. So whatever works for you is is amazing, and it's an outlet for you, and it's mm-hmm. working for you. I love the art that you do. I don't spend a lot of time on bread art. But I am fascinated by it. And I see some of your, you do a couple of things that uh, I really don't know how you do them, but I would love to explore that. Mm-hmm. I, I see you have like these plastic, for, you, you do like almost like these cartoons uh, with black 
stencil or something, ink or or charcoal, I assume, <laughs> on the bread. Can you tell me what do you do there? How do you accomplish that? Uh, so that's actually a stencil that I cut with a Cricut machine. And yeah, I have a Cricut. Yeah, so but I, I don't actually, use it. Oh yeah. <laughs> And that was one of those business purchases. I because my husband is in uh, he's he's in the uh, audio visual business, and I was like, hey, would you by chance need a few uh, decals made for your gear? Things that has your logo on it, so it's just there. And he was like, yeah, I think that would be good because I looked into having some custom made and it was really expensive. And I was like, how do you feel about getting a cricket? Under your business yeah. account. <laughs> so, right, that so you was tricked him I... into getting a cricket for you. <laughs> yes, yes, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he still uses it, it for for his work stuff. You know, he will uh, smack decals and things on his gear and yeah. his hydro flask. And, you know, it's good yeah. marketing. And um, so, I what I do is I don't do any of those creative designs myself, I find them off the internet, um, whatever is free and available. Um, okay. And I put it through the Cricut, and I actually cut stencils. One of the materials I use is a uh, 4-mil mylar, which is a clear plastic type of material. And what's great about the clear mylar is you; those are reusable. I try to use reusable products so that I'm not, you know, throwing a lot of waste away. The other material that I started using and I saw somebody else doing was um, using this black vinyl looking material. And I was like, what's that? And I kind of went, there's got to be something. And I like the black contrast because I can actually see what I lay on the bread. And I discovered Mm -hmm. that it was um, window cling, you know, the static window cling yeah. Vinyl. Yeah, yeah. So I started using that instead of the mylar just to see how it would do. And it would make these very clear images. They are a pain in the ass to lay down on the bread. But once it's there and once you get it set and you pull off the um, stencil, it makes a very clean image on the bread. So it's window cling vinyl Got that it. you can, again, j- reuse. So you're just flowering around and then you're peeling off the cling and and then you see the shape of the object. I thought I was seeing at times some kind of color contrast on your bread, no? No. Maybe. Um, maybe okay. So that was only, just, it's the opposite. Yeah. Yes. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. I use rice flour and I use the, the Thai brand uh, rice flour and it's milled super, super fine. So it does lay on the bread very finely. It is finicky, but what's great is rice flour doesn't absorb during the bake. So the contrast is still there when you pull it out of the oven. Yeah. Were you surprised at the... Because you you might not have a ton of followers, but you get a good amount of interaction, I will say. So like the people are engaged in your account. Were you surprised when you first started that so many people were interested I I really was because in the beginning, again, I started the account as a um, let's separate my personal account from the bread stuff. So my friends and, um, you know, students and 
people work-related are not looking at a bunch of bread stuff they may not want to look at. So in the beginning, I had like, hey, I started this account. If you're interested, follow it. But I would say 90% of the people who follow me are people I have never met. And it's right. um, and I find that very baffling and surprising. And all because of my snarky sense of humor. And um, that is if you actually read the captions, a lot of people exactly. scroll and they don't read. But if they read, they're like, oh, okay, that's funny. So, <laughs> yeah. I am very surprised at the people who follow me and what I find wonderful about the bread community is that I think I, in one of your other podcasts, you said it just brings people together. I love that yeah. this medium, we're not talking about politics, about your beliefs, what, you know, all of the crazy things happening in the world. It's just simple bread. And yeah. It's again, it's a staple. Uh, I have had friends ask me, Don't you get tired of eating your own bread? And I go, Do you get tired of eating rice <laughs> or pasta right. or potatoes? It's a staple. It's one of those things that, you know, we, we don't have to have in our lives, but it's one of those things we choose to have in our lives because it's something that sustains us. Right. Now, the, what, the other day you put up, uh, I guess that was the one with the black vinyl. You had a, a rendering of, of your dog and you told the story about your dog going to the vet. Do you mind sharing that story with the listeners? Okay. Oh, God. <laughs> so um, I have a rescue puppy. She is a, I call her an amboloxer. We thought we were adopting a boxer because we were a boxer family. We thought we were adopting a boxer. And then I guess her DNA came back and she's actually American bulldog, a Frenchie, and then a boxer. And she likes to go venture out into our backyard and find things. And we suspect she ate something and she was throwing up all day and all night. And so I texted my vet, who is a good friend of ours, and she was like, yeah, I think you got to bring her in. At least let us x-ray her to see what's going on. Unfortunately, they had to uh, open her up because they couldn't find anything in the x-ray. And they noticed that the bubble in her belly was getting bigger uh, after an hour. So they mm. opened her up. They couldn't find any obstruction, but her colon was um, just has blown up into what she said looked like a balloon animal. And the mm -hmm. surgeon was like, okay, looks like she doesn't have any obstruction, but the obstruction is actually the gas in her colon. So we got to get this out. So the surgeon is squeezing this massive fart out of her body <laughs> and... I guess I was told afterwards that the staff was screaming, my vet was screaming, the surgeon was like, I got to get it out, I got to get it all out. And they were able to get out 50%. I think that was the compromise. And they're like, we'll take her on a walk and she'll walk off the rest of it. And um, <laughs> oh so she bombed pretty much the whole hospital. And when I went to go pick her up at the end of the day, the place smelled like air freshener and my dog. 
And I was like, oh my God, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I was so embarrassed. So as a thank you, I made three loaves of bread for them. And it, it was also, again, I said a half apology. Um, so the first one was um, an, an animal balloon, and that went to my vet. The second <laughs> one was a fan blowing on a pile of shit. And that went to the surgeon. And then the third loaf was a five-star review um, saying, five stars, would poop here again, Elsie. That went to the staff. And I went and dropped it off. And oh my God, four days later, the place still smelled like shit. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm really (laughs) hoping that that is not my dog. That is some other dog. And if it is my dog, I have other concerns that I need to ask my vet. And if it is not my dog... You know, they, th- th- I would feel a little bit better about it, but also, um, you know, they probably need, I don't know. So, yeah. Um, there you go. Yeah. These are the kind of stories, guys, <laughs> you, you get from Becca at uh, Little Sparrow, Little Sparrow Sourdough on Instagram. Yeah. Now, they're not all like <laughs> this, but they are uh, a slice of life and very humorous, and, and I love it. So, you're a classical pianist. How yes. often do you tour? Do you play out? Do you play locally? So I I do not tour at all. I play locally. Um, I am actually a, a ballet pianist for um, one of our local ballet training schools here. And what's great about the school is they still use live music and they still use a wow. live pianist. And I'm one of the, we only have a handful of people who do what I do pretty much globally. It's a dying art. It is expensive to have us. So a lot of uh, dance studios and dance schools just use recorded music for their stuff and for their classes. And what's great is I am one of the very few people who, you know, got into this again by fluke 20 something years ago and I decided this is amazing. I have a dance background myself. So I this was a great way for me to stay connected in the dance world as a musician and again that's brought me a lot of wonderful opportunities. Um I freelance as a company class pianist, so a lot of the major dance companies that come through town and they need a pianist to play their um, company class either beginning of the day, sometimes it's an hour before they go on stage, I get to go and play company class for them. And it's that's great. a wonderful feeling. So I don't know if I'm allowed to say, you know, what companies I've worked for, but the um, but j- just so I don't get in trouble, I'm just going to keep that one to myself. But mm-hmm. they they are uh, some of the big major companies. You know, some are based in New York. Some are based in Chicago, San Francisco, yeah. all over. That and what town are you based in? Town. I'm actually in Orange County. I live in South uh-huh. Orange County, but um, it's a, a freeway commute to downtown L.A. So sometimes I drive up to downtown L.A. and I play at the Music Center there. And I mainly work for the Performing Arts Center down here in Orange County. Right. That's cool. So yeah. you uh, you had an interest in piano as a as a kid? Uh, um, or were, were any of your parents involved in music? Um, my 
dad likes to think that he was a good musician, um, but he kind of hummed <laughs> along and he kind of, he self-taught himself the Chinese flute. Um, my mom likes to run around singing, but I guess my mom was saying one of the natural things that I used to do even before starting lessons was I would hear a tune. I would go over to the piano and kind of doodle on it and then play it back. And of course, wow. I, I have the stereotypical tiger mom. My mom, you know, would sit with me and make me practice for hours upon hours and upon hours. And of course, when I decided to go into college as a music major, you know, there was a lot of conflict and tension within my parents going, no, you're supposed to be a doctor, you know, the stereotypical Asian <laughs> conversation. And I said, well, I'm going to do this and I will also look into, you know, a teaching credential, which I never got. Oh, really? But I did, yeah. I ended up going to grad school instead. Uh, that way I can teach college. Um, and that that was how I kind of stumbled into teaching as a, all right, fine, um, you need someone to teach. I'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What'd you think of life as a music student? It's it it's interesting. I don't know if people realize it's um I think it's very different than mm -hmm. a lot of other programs in college. You really spend a lot of time in that building and then the practice yes. rooms. Mm -hmm. You know, I would say that, that besides the classes and doing the homework, mm -hmm. the typical music students in a practice room alone for at least three hours a day. Yeah. It's not more. Yeah. You know, and then you also have the little, the groups, the bands, the orchestras, the everything that you're in. It's a mm -hmm. pretty busy life and it's a hard, hard, isolated life at times. Yes. Yes, definitely. But the other thing that's cool about it is the camaraderie because everyone's hanging out down there. Everything's, mm -hmm. It's just hundreds of practice rooms. Yes. And people are going in and out and hanging out in the hallway. And you have lockers down there. Pretty interesting. Yeah. I confess that 90% of the time spent in the practice room was not practicing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, you know, it would it practice for about 15 minutes. Somebody would interrupt you and then you start talking and hanging out. And then, oh, I got to go. And you go back and practice 15 minutes more. And then somebody else comes by. And it's, yeah, like you said, right. it's... And there, I have some very close friends that I still hang out with from school, Absolutely. from, you know, being a music major and a, a grad student, mostly in grad student. I lived down in the office um, and in the music department pretty much the whole time. But like you said, it's very isolated. I didn't go to many parties, like college parties. That was not my thing. I did go to a lot of hangouts. I wouldn't call those parties, but, you know, call what people would see as like a Cancun um, right. college party. You know, I never did any of that stuff, but, you know, I was more content to have a glass of wine and hang out with my friends and, and just hold the glass of wine, not really drink it because I have Asian drinking disease. I turn uh, bright red <laughs> when I drink, so it was mainly... <laughs> I would hold a glass of wine, just talk to people, and that was kind of um, the life. But the other isolating thing, too, it was, was interesting, is there were students who were very serious about their craft, that they were 
isolated within the department. They locked themselves in a practice room and they would practice and they were so focused. They didn't talk to anybody and they really didn't engage in your classes. They, you know, they would turn in the work and they were just, I would, they were super introverts, I would call them. Mm-hmm. Which might and, be one of the reasons they gravitated to, towards an instrument because it allowed them to yeah. function. You yeah. know, certain psychology there. Yeah. And for me, definitely the reason why, and of course, you know, you get the egos, especially being a, a pianist, um, you get a lot of ego. And one of the things that gravitated me towards working with dancers was that, yes, there's ego, but it's different because they have their craft in their own ego and I have my craft in my own ego and we collaborate it well together in a dance, uh, in a ballet situation. Right. In terms of music that you listened to for pleasure, was it always related to what you were studying? In grad school, yes. So I would listen to, um, uh, depending on whatever repertoire I was doing, I would listen to different recordings of different performers playing those specific pieces. And now the music I listen to is all work-related. Again, I am in the musical theater world. I am a musical director at one of the performing arts schools here in Orange County, And so a lot of times I'm listening to the cast recordings of whatever show is coming up that I'm, Mm -hmm. you know, studying and listening to just for, you know, tempo references and things. But on my drive homes and in my long two-hour commutes to downtown LA and back, a lot of times I am listening to audiobooks, podcasts, stand-up comedy, in fact, that's actually what we do a lot um, to blow off steam. I can't, my husband and I can't go to shows without being in work mode because he, again, is in the audio side of thing, audio visual tech side of things. So he's hearing everything that could be fixed or different things that he could be mixing differently. And I'm going, oh, that person's off, and oh, that was great. And, you know, I'm analyzing their performance quality and what they're doing. So we we go to stand-up a lot because it's just a great way to not think about any of that stuff. Go sit down, have some horrible food, and have a comedian stand up and, you know, scream at us for, you know, an hour and whatever, and have us laugh our asses off and go home and be like, oh, that was a great set. And okay, let's do it again. Where do you do that? What clubs do you go to see stand-up comedy? We mainly go to uh, the Irvine Improv down here. They have a good lineup of people. So, Do you you know the names of any of these comedians? Do I know the names? And and enjoyed? Oh, geez. The, I think the most recent one was Ian Bag. He is one of our uh, recent. Uh, he's our lo- a local guy here, and he. Okay. Uh, so we try to uh, support him anytime he's in town, doing a gig. Um, I'm trying to think of the most recent ones we went to go see. Um, I asked because I am a, a stand-up comedy producer. Oh, okay, um, okay, yeah. I, I've done uh, 
number of specials albums. Uh, I still record comedy albums, and I have clients that I manage that play the Irvine Improv. Oh, okay, that's fun. Yeah, um, yeah. A lot of them, we get a lot of free tickets, and you know when they have low sales. We get sure. a lot of free tickets, and so we go to a lot of them. And unfortunately, I never remember their names, but we always go see yeah. the big names, of course, um, like Joel McHale, yeah. Margaret Cho. I love Margaret. And I've heard all of her jokes before. And what's great about seeing a comedian that you know the material, the secondary experience is, is watching the audience interaction and their reaction and having them right. experience they're the jokes for the first time. That's also a very uh, rewarding thing to see. Yeah. And see who yeah. else. Um, uh, we've seen Patton Oswald there, Bert Kreischer, of course, uh, Dave Williamson. He He's always an opener. He's super funny. I don't know him. Oh, okay. He's really funny. Yeah. You know, story time kind of guy. And... Those are just the some of the people that I can think um, on the top of my head. So, you know, comedy, yeah, that's fun. again, is one of those things that I try to have in my life. I don't purposely try to make people laugh. I think it just kind of happens. I think yeah. I get that deadpan, dry sense of humor from my father. And it's also my coping mechanism, you know, like with my dog dealing with that. And it's stressful yeah. to have your dog you know, have her stomach cut open. So I have to somehow make a joke out of it or. Yeah, you have to undercut the tension. Exactly. I love that. (laughs) Now, living so close to Los Angeles, do you go to any of these world famous bakeries? And and maybe they were even in Orange County and I'm not aware, but uh, I certainly have done the LA bakery tour and it has inspired me to open a, my food truck where I'm making artisanal sandwiches on the bread I bake now. Mm-hmm. But have you checked out any of the, the bakery scene? I haven't had the time to. It's, that's the mm. sad part. I have discovered one, and I was very disappointed when I found out they're no longer at the Grand Central Market, was, I think it's called Clark Street Bakery. They also do all their pastries and breads, sourdough. And that's one of the things that I like to focus on is sourdough being that I do have type two diabetes and having my own sourdough has been a lifesaver in being able to have carbs. (laughs) And yeah, uh, let's, let's open that up a little bit. Okay. Some of the people who don't know the benefits of sourdough, even on a person without diabetes, but especially Mm -hmm. if you have type two diabetes, how is it possible that that bread's okay for you, but other breads aren't? For me, I'm from these are one of the something that I try to do is be very mindful of the health claims I make because I don't know if it's going to be the same for somebody else, but it works for me. From what I understand of it, is that the long fermentation process breaks down the starches within the bread and it brings down the glycemic level. So I am able to have a sourdough sandwich, you know, with my own slices for lunch. And it's not going to significantly spike my blood sugar because all I'm eating is my own fermented bread flour or uh, flour salt water and 
the starter right. that I throw into it. So there are no additives. But even then, um, I dabbled into a sourdough shoku pan that has sugar and eggs and milk. And again, I can have a slice and it's not going to shoot my blood sugar up a, a ridiculous amount. And it's been, you know, the, it's still new to me, this diagnosis. I knew I was getting it. It runs in my family. And I think the pandemic and teaching at home and playing at home just kind of sped it up because everyone's at home eating carbs. And I was eating a lot of pastas and noodles and <laughs> a lot of sugars. And right. this is the one thing that I am able to keep in my diet. Everything else I have completely eliminated. Rice, pasta, noodles. I have those only on cheat days when I'm having a really bad day. And even then, right. after, you know, I I would just, I tell my friends all the time, I'm like, oh, what I wouldn't give to just have a giant bowl of spaghetti with butter. That's it. That's it. <laughs> and sometimes, you know, if I do have a cheat day, I have a little bit, but I always chase it with a gallon of water and I go hop on my elliptical for 30 minutes to burn it off because I know it's going to make me dizzy and feel horrible in a little bit. So I try to... Right remedy that if I'm going to put that into my body. So, but yeah, sourdough is one of those things that I'm able to have. And I think going back to that bakery, they have a sourdough croissant that is just beautifully laminated and I'm able to eat that and it doesn't raise my blood sugar or doesn't spike my blood sugar significantly. And I think it has to do with the fermentation and also the high fat content within the butter. <laughs> so it's slowing oh. down the absorption in my body as I'm eating it. So that's also another yeah. advantage of sourdough. So we got a lot of people that come to us for the sourdough. Mm -hmm. It's just easier for their body to digest. And yes. usually they, they'll live a otherwise gluten-free life, but they do come and eat the gluten in the sourdough. It's pretty yeah. interesting. Yeah. I actually have a, a, a parent who started buying sourdough from me last year. I guess her kiddo brought some of my bread home and said, Mom, try this. And she's like, I can't have gluten. It's going to make me sick. And she had some, and it didn't make her sick. And then the next day, the whole yep. loaf was gone. And yep. the kiddo came back to me and was like, I think we need to keep ordering bread for me because your my mom <laughs> loves it. And and I actually posed the, the little video on my Instagram because just – the joy on her mother's face just just brought me so much happiness. I'm like, oh, that makes me so happy that she can have this. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, listen, Becca, it was really cool to chat and get to know you. I look forward to continuing to keep up with you on Instagram. You make me laugh. I love your sense of humor. I love your art. Thank and you. uh, keep doing what you're doing. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Becca. Thank you. This episode of Bread for the People was brought to you by Side Hustle Bread, Long Island's handcrafted artisanal bread company. Side Hustle Bread is a family-run business that's bringing the neighborhood feel back to Long Island one loaf at a time. If you like what you're hearing, don't forget to head on over to iTunes and rate and review this episode. Reviewing and rating is the most effective way to help us grow our audience. This episode was produced by Milestone TV and Film. I'm your host, Jim Serpico. Blessed be the bread, everyone.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.